0: The carriers have done their job. They provided the contract for a building that was without aluminum wiring. It has aluminum wiring. There is no coverage there. And then boil down to who told them that. If you, the client, filled out a form and just didn't know, and I see this a lot of times, oh, you know, whatever, yeah, I thought it was copper. I didn't really check it. It falls back on you. There is no limit.
1: Best ever listeners, where are you going to be on February 22nd and 23rd? I am visualizing that you're going to be in Denver, Colorado, because that's where the best ever conference is. And that's when it is February 22nd, 23rd. Go to besteverconference.com and even put in take five. So you get 5% off your ticket. So that is T-A-K-E and the number five whenever you purchase your ticket. And buy now because ticket prices go up weekly. So go to besteverconference.com. You can read all about the conference, the agenda, the speakers. We've got an incredible speaker list focused on commercial real estate. So that includes five plus units if you're in multifamily. And you're going to get a lot of value from this conference. Go to besteverconference.com. It's the third time we've done it. It improves every year, and we have raving reviews. I'm not just saying it. Ask people who have attended every year. Besteverconference.com. Enter take 5, T-A-K-E 5, when you purchase your ticket and get an extra 5% off ticket prices going up weekly. So get it today. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff with us today. Brian Schimmel. How you doing, Brian? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Joe? I'm doing great as well, and nice to have you on the show. A little bit about Brian. He is a former real estate builder and developer. 2008 and his first child forced him into a career change into commercial insurance. He joined MRA, which stands for Multifamily Risk Advisors, five years ago, and they insure about 200,000 units across the country. He's based in Gainesville, Florida. So with that being said, Brian, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus?
0: Sure. You've already touched on it a little bit. I've always had a love and fascination with real estate. was a real estate builder and developer, more of a builder than a developer there for a lot of years. ended up making a career change. really wanted to leverage all of my experience and everything in real estate and start a commercial insurance career and quickly learned that very few agents really specialize in one specific industry, which always kind of ate away at me a little bit. And then, like I said, about five years ago, I joined up with Multifamily Risk Advisors. We're one of the few firms in the country I know of that truly specialize in multifamily insurance. I think we bring a lot of value to our clients, helping them in the acquisition, administration of insurance, and just kind of an understanding of the overall risk of either a property or their whole portfolio. Um,
1: I would guess kind of the best summary of of my history and where I am now. What benefits do commercial insurance professionals who are focused on say one asset class like multifamily, provide the customer versus someone who isn't exclusively focused on that?
0: I think more than anything, it's really just kind of understanding the mechanics of how the industry works. We understand everything from the purchase process when people are going through a due diligence phase and trying to determine what their insurance costs are to complying with lender requirements that they might be faced with and dealing with, understanding how the specific risk characteristics of an asset itself, where it's located, what the construction characteristics of the building might be imparting in terms of risk. And more than anything, we really just kind of become consultants with our client. I mean, I think partnership is a far overused term. I mean, I think the guy who cuts my yard the other day said he wanted to be my landscape partner. But truthfully, we really try to ingrain ourselves with our clients, become a part of their business and just consult with them and advise them in the best way to ensure and protect their asset.
1: As it relates to multifamily and understanding the risk characteristics of a property, let's unpack some of these things that you mentioned and get into a little bit more detail like construction and location. So let's go with construction because I think location is going to be A little bit more obvious, but I'm sure you'll have some things to talk about. But let's talk about construction. What are some risk factors with construction that you look at?
0: You can start at the high level, but what is the construction? Are we dealing with a frame building here? Are we dealing with a joisted masonry? It was concrete block type building. Are we dealing with masonry non-combustible? All these different construction types, you know, have different rates. And I just can't tell you how common it is. See, I, I mean, I, it's, it's an extremely large percentage of the time when I'm looking at policies and I Look at what's been submitted to the carriers, and I see it's got the wrong construction type. I mean, the carrier literally thinks they're covering one type of building when it's a totally different one that's in place. I'd
1: love to stay on construction for just a bit before we get to the age. Yeah. So, what are the opposite ends of the spectrum, least risk, greatest risk, in terms of the type of construction? Least risk,
0: you would be dealing with masonry, non-combustible buildings. What does that really mean? means there's no wood present or a very little amount of wood. So when you're talking about floor joists, trusses, everything, that's going to be metal. The woods could be masonry. So you're not really dealing with a very significant fire hazard on that building. The other end of that spectrum would be a frame wood building. Wood walls, wood siding, wood floor joists, wood trusses, just a much higher fire factor. And that's kind of how the carriers look at it. I mean, they just sit there and... and calculate their rates based upon if a small fire started, you know, how would it spread in the building? And if you're dealing with a masonry non-combustible building, you're most likely probably dealing a lot of times with smaller fires. I see some of these claims, okay, small grease fires people have in their apartments and such. Well, if you have that in a masonry non-combustible building, it's probably going to be confined to that unit itself. But you start talking about a frame building of however many units, small or large, and you could potentially put the whole building at risk.
1: Then that's kind of how they look at it. In terms of the type of construction that you'd come across most often, what type of construction is that? And I imagine it varies based on year and geography. So if, if you want to fill in those details too, feel free to. Yeah, you hit the two right out of the gate. Geography, pardon I mean, Look here in Florida, for example. I mean, I'm in the Gainesville, I'm in the northern part of
0: Florida. And if I were to even drive 60 miles south of here, the majority of the construction you would see there would be concrete block, called joisted masonry in the insurance world.
1: Where's that on the spectrum of risk? Better than frame,
0: not as good as masonry, non-combustible. Okay. So definitely mid-level. But you know, the more north you get, you start seeing much more frame construction. Yeah, and it depends on the type of asset we're talking about too. We're talking about garden style apartments. Things like that, you almost always deal with frame construction. You start getting into mid-rise and high-rise. That's when you really start seeing more of the. Joisted masonry or masonry non-combustible type buildings, they might be sprinklered or not. You know, that's a big issue right now, sprinklers with
1: carriers. As an aside, but related to what you just said about sprinklers, it's shocking how many buildings that we look at and we're in due diligence and the owner painted over the sprinkler heads and now they have to all be replaced. Yeah,
0: I can tell you if there is a sprinkler system in place, most definitely have that service up to date with the records to back it up because there's some tremendous savings in your property rates if you have a sprinkler system installed. And, you know, obviously I know that if you're looking at a property, very rarely do you have the opportunity to go back in and put a sprinkler system in. But I can tell you if there is one in place, I would make sure that it's up to date and functioning properly.
1: Mm-hmm. And in terms of the difference in costs, for the policy from a least risk factors so masonry non-combustible to most risk frame wood building what would be the difference there it's tough to just pin an exact percentage on it so maybe i could just kind of give you
0: some various examples of what i've yeah. dealt with here of late and geography plays a big role in this i mean every part of the country has a different rate associated with it. some have weather risk and some don't but if you're dealing with a building, so let's just use Orlando, for example. You've got a lot of new apartments going in down there that have sprinklers. In them. But if you're dealing with an older building, 1980s, 90s, garden-style apartment construction, I think about things in terms of rates, which will translate into percentages. But you could easily be in the low 30 cents per $100 of value on the property in something like Orlando in comparison if... You could put a brand new building in the exact same location, same exact size that was sprinklered. You could dip down from that rate by 15 percent, somewhere in that range. So that equates directly to your property premium. I mean if you're paying a hundred thousand dollars in property insurance for a non sprinkler building, you could easily shave ten to fifteen percent off of that, I think, sometimes with sprinklered. But again, it just depends.
1: Of course. Yeah. On many other factors. There's so, many but, other variables. but that but
0: that's many other variables. The construction type, I mean how many buildings are there? I mean, they look at all these factors. Are we dealing with a property that has 12 buildings or are we dealing with a property that has one building? So There's a lot of factors that go into it, but it can
1: be anywhere from five to over 10%. And fewer, the better, correct? What do you mean by the fewer, the better? Fewer buildings, the better. I would actually say kind of the opposite of that. If you're an insurer,
0: you know, let's say you have 10 buildings and they're each worth a million dollars and you have a fire well, then you're probably only going to lose a million dollars on that one building as opposed to if you have one building, 10 million, and you have a fire, you lose all 10 million.
1: Yep. Okay. That's very logical. So now you were going to talk about age in terms of understanding the risk factors of the property and looking at the age. Age, there's a
0: lot of things, I think, to think about when you're dealing with age. A lot of times you're dealing with a little less stringent building requirements than what are being imposed today, which, you know, that? total other area insurance, you know, that would be <laughs> a whole other show on how to protect yourself against that. But you're dealing sometimes with some of the building requirements weren't quite as stringent then as they are now. So there's a little more risk to that building. The wiring is a huge issue when it comes to age. And this is an interesting topic because every week I'm dealing with several different assets that are pre-1973 and have aluminum wiring. And so many times, especially with agents that don't really understand multifamily, it's just submitted to the carrier that it has copper wiring, when in reality, it has aluminum wiring. And it can be remediated aluminum, which is great, that means they've things to address the fact that there's aluminum, but in many cases, there's not. And if you were to delve into your policies, almost every carrier, I mean, there are carriers that will cover aluminum wiring, but there are very few and far between most carriers exclude aluminum wiring. So there isn't a week that goes by that I don't look at a property, 19, late 60s, early 70s property, that has aluminum wiring in it, and you can open up their policy, which, let's be frank, nobody opens up these policies and reads every detail. It's about next to impossible. But every one of these policies has an aluminum wiring exclusion. If you were to have a fire due to the aluminum wiring, and the carrier specifically excluded it, and it was submitted to them as copper wiring, you have an issue. And the claim could very well be denied. Not only very well be denied,
1: most likely will be denied. And then what would um, you do? Would you just, if you wanted to get covered, would you end up suing the agent or the broker who messed that up? That's the only place you would have for remedy because the carriers has done their job.
0: They provided the contract for a building that was without aluminum wiring. It has aluminum wiring. There is no. There and then boil down to who told them that. If you, the client, filled out a form and just didn't know, and I see this a lot of times, oh, you know, whatever, yeah, I thought it was copper. I didn't really check it. it. Kind of falls back on you, and there is no remedy. If the agent themselves supplied that information to the carrier, then there could be an issue with the agent. And I see both of those going on. And don't get me wrong, I see sometimes some desperate agents coaching on behalf of the agents, trying to tell their clients what they should put there. But If you have aluminum wiring, it at a minimum should be addressed and be remediated. And then go to the carriers and apprise them of that it is remediated aluminum. There really isn't that much premium impact to remediated or unremediated aluminum. That's a completely different animal.
1: So we got the type of construction, the age. What are some other risk characteristics that you look at with the property?
0: Age of roofs. This gets a little bit technical. I know nobody on this show probably wants me to delve too deep into the the now. Yeah, please. Please do it. Okay. Every carrier's do. I'm just kidding. cheese. But if your roof is much older than fifteen years, meaning two thousand and three, most carriers are only going to give you coverage for that roof on what's called an actual cash value basis. Just means they factor depreciation in. Now, if you go to refinance that property through any sort of Fannie or Freddie loan, the loan requirements do not allow actual cash value. They force replacement costs, which means that the roofs have to be replaced and no depreciation needs to be factored in. So again, it is a weekly occurrence for me that I see people looking at properties, and I, I love to talk about how we get involved in the due diligence with our clients here in a minute, but we do on a weekly basis, I'm looking at properties with my clients. They got 2,000 roofs on them. They plan to finance them through a Fannie or Freddie loan, and they don't even realize that they're going to have to replace the roofs to comply with the insurance requirements, which could be a huge capital expenditure. I've seen it kill deals. I've seen clients have to take it on. I've also seen clients that maybe it's got 2,004 roofs, and you know what? They're going to cross the same issue like next year. And so these are kind of some of the things that when we get involved with the due diligence of property and help our clients understand the risk characteristics of that property, the things that we talk them through, things that they might not be thinking of. So roofs are a big, big issue. You really need to plan to replace many of the roofs or really understand the age of those roofs. Don't just take the seller's work out, or at least 10 years ago only to find out that they're 15 or 16 years old.
1: I'm kind of going to skip over the location component because okay. unless there's something that you have that's surprising, because hurricane, flood zones, like I think we'll get all that stuff, but anything you think that would be interesting or surprising in terms of location that you want to mention before we go into the due diligence part you talked about?
0: Yeah, you know, I could sum something
1: up, but we all know the coastal stuff is highly exposed and highly expensive insurance, but
0: we're really starting to see the Midwest and we work on a coast to coast basis. We're really starting to see the Midwest rates go up because of hail claims, wind claims, tornado claims. It's really surprising to see how the rates in some of those parts of the country are starting to rival some of the coastal areas. I could probably leave location at that kind of at a high level, but it is kind of interesting to see that going
1: on. Now. Yeah. You know what? Last week we had golf ball size hail. I mean, I live in Cincinnati I Had golf ball size hail at our house. I'd never seen that before. Oh, granted, I've only lived here three or so years, but I'd never seen that before. And my wife, Colleen, who's from here, had never seen that either. Yeah. Cool. All right. Let's talk about due diligence, how you approach due diligence with your customers.
0: Yeah, whether it's an on-market deal and you got the OM or it's an off-market deal, with most of our clients, we really kind of become a part of their acquisition team and start looking at them the same time that they're looking at them. Identifying some of the things that we've already talked about, some of the risk characteristics of the property, age roots, all of these things that they might need to be concerned of, consulting with them on that so they understand that. Most clients want to get into right away is the cost. And over the last few years, people almost always just kind of defer to what were the seller's costs on insurance and move on. Over the last few years, that's maybe not an advised way to do it, but it's actually probably kind of worked in many cases at least. But in the new environment we kind of find ourselves in this year, it's probably the worst thing that you could do. So we take and develop entire statement of value for the property, all the square footages, all that sort of stuff, and come back to our client you know, about four, or four hours and say, look, this is what your insurance costs are going to look like for that property. And sometimes it is, you know, right in line with what's in the O.M. but other times that number might be going up by 10 or 15, 20%. There's two things going on right now with regards to property insurance cost in the country. And that is number one, the rates are trending up rather dramatically, but at the same time rates are trending up the values that both the lenders and the carriers are requiring have made a sudden jump also. so your property insurance premium is simply the value insured times the rate. Well, the rate's going up, we all know that. And then from the valuation side, it's really done on a per square foot basis. And over the last five years, you commonly saw 60, $65 a square foot for like a garden style apartment in most parts of the country is being the valuation number. And now you're seeing Fannie and Freddie and most other lenders requiring 70 to $75 a square foot. Well, right out of the gate, that's a 10 to 20% increase just in valuations, which results in a 10 to 20% increase in property insurance premium. So it's kind of the double whammy that's occurring right now. You got lenders requiring higher values and carriers requiring higher values. And then you've got, it's also trending up. So it's really not a time right now where you can just kind of take a glance and know what was paid last year and just use that number in your underwriting and feel like you're at least relatively safe. I would say no, that's a big deal. And also the losses. This is the thing that surprises me so much. I'm coach our clients through this. But when you're in the actual due diligence phase on an asset you're looking at, you know, get the seller to give you his loss runs, property loss runs and general liability loss last three to five years because the carriers require that number one, you're going to have to get them anyways. And number two, their rates are going to be based off of that. So if you're looking at an asset that had a half a dozen mid to severe level GL claims, you're going to be paying a lot more for GL insurance, mm-hmm. for general liability insurance. And the same way with property, if the, if the property has been hit with a few fires, it could be any type of loss going to factor that into their rate. And most people never ask for this stuff until it's the last minute they're trying to get an insurance quote. We really try to coach our clients to get that stuff up front. Because we can give you an indication just based on a relatively positive loss history, but if we have the actual losses, I can pin the thing almost down to the dollar of what it's actually going to cost you. And you can know that in phase
1: one of your due diligence and not three days before you close. Great stuff. Very informative and some very good practical tips, like making sure that you get way out in front of the loss run information and make sure you have the property and general liability loss runs. Because as you mentioned, the insurance companies are going to need that anyway and going to judge your insurance policy and the premium based on that information.
0: So the analogy I always make you know, is when somebody's looking at asset, they're looking into the future, you know, rent growth, and what the exit cap's going to look like and all that sort of stuff to try to figure out what the property's worth. The insurance industry looks in the rearview mirror and they look at the losses that have occurred and they say, this is the price we want to put on it. And so it's real tough for people to wrap their heads around that. How the seller's management of that property should in any way play a part in what they pay for insurance. I can't tell you that I don't disagree with them, but the fact of the matter is is that the insurance industry does that and you're not going to change that. So you really need to get them.
1: Well, they look in the rearview mirror, and they also look through the the windshield too because they're also looking at the useful life period of all the mechanicals and things like that, where you're at with those things. Here's a question I ask everyone on the show. Based on your experience in the commercial insurance industry, what is your best advice ever for real estate investors? Okay. First of all, I would
0: say deferred maintenance on a property. Most of us want to provide a safe environment for our tenants. But there are professional claimants that are out there, people that are looking for loose handrails, trip hazards, wet AC handlers where they can slip, electrical issues where they can be shocked. And I see this every single day. Most recently last year, I had one where a client called me and said, lo and behold, our tenant called our property manager, said the ceiling was wet, the air handler was in the ceiling and the property manager went over there immediately and as soon as they walked through the door the air handler or right before they walked through the door the air handler fell and hit him in the head and i was like wow what a crazy claim that is and then about 10 days later the same exact scenario happened in the same exact property now it's just crazy stuff that you see every single trip hazard somebody trips it's a neck injury it's a back injury it's all this stuff and i'm not saying that they're all bogus But I can promise you that a lot of them are. So I'd really say stay up on deferred maintenance. Kind of already talked about using the seller's number for insurance because property rates are going up, but I'd just kind of like to reinforce that and say that's really something that you need to look at. I would say that taking a look at the area where the properties you might be acquiring is or that you already own, taking a look at the crime scores in the area, general liability is just getting tougher and tougher and my best ever advice on that would be pay attention to your exclusions because we commonly see assault and battery excluded from general liability policies a fight is an assault and battery it can be through from two tenants it can be through somebody visiting your property it can be from one of your employees and a tenant almost any altercation is an assault and battery and the very first place carriers go to decrease a general liability problem or to alleviate their risk on a property is to exclude assault and battery or put a very small sublimit on it 200 300,000 i can tell you right now that an assault and battery claims are always larger than that so I would really make sure that you understand what your exclusions are with that. And we've already talked too about really understanding your property, the wiring, the roofs, the path losses, all that sort of stuff.
1: Great stuff. Very informative. And I'm grateful that you went through these things in detail. This will save a lot of best ever listeners a lot of money. We're going to do a lightning round. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Absolutely, let's go. All right, first, a quick word from our Best Ever partners. Best Ever listeners, Best Ever Conference, that's where you want to be, February 22nd and 23rd in Denver, Colorado. Put in the code TAKE5, T-A-K-E, and the number 5 to get an extra 5% off. Ticket prices go up weekly, so buy it today, besteverconference.com. You can read all about the conference at the website, all about the speakers. You can read about them and what you will experience when you're there, besteverconference.com. Best ever listeners, we have launched bestevercauses.com. That's bestevercauses.com. We profile a nonprofit or cause that is near and dear to our heart, get the word out about their cause, and also donate money towards their cause. If you'd like to, one, learn more about the causes that we're profiling, we do one a month, then go to bestevercauses.com. And if you want to suggest a cause that we profile that is near and dear to your heart, then go to bestevercauses.com. And there's a little form at the bottom of the page where you can submit one, and we'll check it out. Best ever book you've recently read?
0: American Buffalo, Steve Ranella. I love the Wild West and the whole story, and I thought it was a pretty interesting take on telling the story of the Wild
1: West. Best ever way the best ever listeners can get in touch with you?
0: You can reach me via email at bschimmel at multifamilyra.com. I'll spell it because I know it's difficult. So it's b-s-h-i-m-e-a-l-l at multifamilyra.com. The R-A stands for riskadvisors.com. Or they can call me at 321-303-2840.
1: Brian, thanks so much for being on the show, talking about the risk characteristics of what to look for when you're assessing what type of insurance policy you'll get. And then getting into the details of what the construction, the age, the roofs, the due diligence as well for what to look for. There's a lot of really good information for anyone buying a multifamily property. Save this episode. Fortunately for you, we transcribe all these episodes, so you've got that already. And then reach out to Brian if you have questions or want to do some business. So thanks for being on the show again. Hope you have a best-ever day, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks a lot, Joe. Best-ever listeners, we have launched bestevercauses.com. That's bestevercauses.com. We profile a nonprofit or a cause that is near and dear to our heart, get the word out about their cause, and also donate money towards their cause. If you'd like to, one, learn more about the causes that we're profiling, we do one a month, then go to bestevercauses.com. And if you want to suggest a cause that we profile that is near and dear to your heart, then go to bestevercauses.com. And there's a little form at the bottom of the page where you can submit one and we'll check it out.